Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Hannah Strong. On the show this week... Up first, we're going online with the creepypasta horror drama We're All Going to the World's Fair. Then we have a film club double bill. First, we're revisiting David Cronenberg's video game-themed body horror flick Existens. Then we're boldly going back to 1991 for the final voyage of the original crew of the Enterprise, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Hannah, David, welcome back to the show. How's it going at Little White Lies Towers, David? Very, very sad. Very sad, sad day, actually. <laughs> very, very miserable. Um, you know. What's getting you down? Well, you know, um, certain podcast host shaping up and shipping out. Um, won't get to hang out on, on, uh, on, the, on the Zoom every, every week, you know, but... Uh, no, so I, I, I'm not. I'm not that miserable. Not as miserable as, as usual. But no, it's very. It's a very. It's a very. Uh, it's a. It's. It is a bittersweet moment for our, uh, you know, beloved leader to be uh, move, moving on to to, to new pastures. Um, is it? It's. A, it, I mean, I guess I'm sort of like skirting around an official announcement. <laughs> but I mean, maybe you want to take this one. Oh, I mean, how official should we be? Yes, after however many years, four and a half years, four years of hosting the show, I'm going to be going on to the big podcast in the sky, <laughs> so to speak, handing over like to dying. the next generation. <laughs> but no, Michael, thank you so much for all your incredible work on the podcast. And, you know, I think we've loved having you and the listeners have loved having you and, uh, it isn't going to be the same without you. And uh, yeah, I just think we want, could, could you, sorry to sort of like take your role momentarily, but could you tell us, you know, your, uh, your plans and your, and what you're doing with Ghibliotech and things like that. If, oh, in case yeah, our so... listeners want to carry on their journey with you, they probably want to carry on with you. <laughs> like in the end of, uh, of uh, Fast and the Furious 8, they'll probably be doing the, the Paul Walker with you. And, and... <laughs> You're back to the death metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, or well, no, it's, or it's, maybe it's, in the end of Batman where, you, you know, the, the, some people will want to go with Catwoman and some people will want to go with Batman, you know. Vague, that's a bit better. And in this one, am I 
Catwoman, maybe. Um, <laughs> yes, well, no, it's, it's just been a, a, a season of change for me, but I will be spending more time investing in Ghibli Attack, which is my podcast that I host with Jake Cunningham, um, who has produced this podcast in the past um, and been on this podcast in the past, where we talk about the films of Studio Ghibli, the Japanese animation studio. But we've also branched out to talk about all sorts of other animated geniuses around the world we talked about satoshi khan and the cartoon saloon uh, we've got lots of cool stuff on the horizon in fact um we're recording this on wednesday and this very morning there's just been an announcement that the royal shakespeare company are world premiering a stage show of my neighbor totoro at the barbican in october so i i think we'll be <laughs> very excited to do something uh, leading up to that uh, but I, I guess keep an eye out. There are things on the horizon that uh, that either haven't come to fruition yet or I can't talk about just yet. But uh, this has been really fun. But with the end of BBC Inside Cinema, which was the show that I produced for the last three years, and uh, leaving Little Dot Studios as, as well, it's just a season of change. I'll be still on Twitter talking about dad rock and whatnot and prog. Yeah. At Michael J. Leader as well, of course. Bit of gaming as well. But yeah, David, you're going to have to make an effort now. To We don't have our slot before we record every week where we can talk about video games. No, <laughs> that's, that's my, 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 my dark secret passion that will never be uh, discussed in public. <laughs> but that's, that's where I'm going. That's the Catwoman side yes. of, uh, of, of the journey. Of course, you two. So last week when we were recording was when the can... Uh, lineup was being announced and none of our guests were going to Cannes this year so we were all sort of talking about it through gritted teeth but you both are going to Cannes this year right are you excited Hannah I can't wait yeah this is my this will be my third Cannes um and after last year's kind of I you know there was so much uncertainty and then it did happen they pulled it off the mad lads and it was actually an amazing festival had the best time so I'm yeah can't wait to be back in the south of France with all my friends and uh, all the kind of the movies. You when know, you say friends, them. do you mean the critics or do you mean the filmmakers and actors <laughs> that you believe My close personal friends? friend, Vincent yeah. Lendon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, my, my, my critic friends, many of whom are who I've not seen since before the pandemic and who are, uh, there's going to be a kind of emotional reunion, uh, particularly with our boy Charles Romesco, um, who I'm very much looking forward to seeing. And... Uh, that, I mean, yeah, I mean, we will be reporting live from the Quesset on here without Michael <laughs> uh, and keeping everyone kind of informed as to what's hot and what's not. Well, I look forward to listening to it as a punter, one experiencing a great deal of FOMO about all the great films because the competition this year is stacked as well as the sidebars and you know, Critics Week and Directors Fortnight, just so many amazing films from exciting filmmakers and I'm sure just as many discoveries as well to be made right have you spotted any because I know you you have an eagle eye for the animation but it seems fairly thin on the ground this year in terms of animated product yeah uh, Cartoon Brew which is a great industry website for animation did a roundup of everything that's been announced and I think it's something like <clears throat> maybe even one feature that has elements of animation in but and, and then a handful of shorts outside of that so not a maybe not a banner year for animation at can but i suppose that's maybe been edged out by the greats of world auteur cinema <laughs> rocking up with their latest uh, always the way it's always nice but i mean okay. you know like you know it's it, it's it's a shame really because i think that having that and like one or two kind of big 
like an anime or or something from like you know from Europe always kind of you know exciting little kind of dive you know mix things up a bit you know there's only there's only so much sort of do your euro auteur cinema you can consume in a day and it's nice to kind of <laughs> <laughs> have something else you know something aesthetically different mm-hmm. uh, but, well you know. uh, you'll be missing out on that this year i do feel very bad for you <laughs> the bob's burgers Sorry. movie is coming out whilst we're in Cannes, so <laughs> everyone in the uk is going to be like running down to the cinema to get their Bob's Burgers fix. And we've got to wait until we get back. I love Bob's Burgers. That made it sound like I was being, um, uh, I was deriding the, 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 the show, but no, I actually think it's wonderful and I can't wait to hear whoever does it on the podcast. So would you recommend taking a bite of the burgers? Because I don't think I've ever watched any of it. Oh, no, definitely watch it, Michael. I think you'd really like it. It's very She's wholesome. been saying that to everyone. Everyone who comes have, in the office. Because it's good. She's been telling, yeah. telling them about Bob's Burgers. And, and, yeah. Because it's good. <laughs> it's, it's really wholesome and sweet and feels very much like Golden Age of the Simpsons with a kind of contemporary twist. Um, yeah, it's good. And the voice acting is amazing. Some of the guest stars yeah. they get on are just <laughs> second to none. So, yeah, that, that's my recommendation of the week. Go and watch Bob's Burgers. <laughs> I, I will add that to the to watch list then. Um, also, Hannah, I guess, is it before Can that your book stuff kicks yeah, off? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think we've mentioned on the podcast before that I have a book coming out. It is called Sophia Coppola Forever Young, and it is out on the 17th of May but in America and then the 28th of May in the UK or the 27th of May. There seems to be some confusion over which day it is. But there is a launch party at the BFI South Bank on the 14th of May, which is a Saturday, and we're screening... Gus Van Sant's To Die For and The Bling Ring as a kind of um, Sophia Coppola's work and the films that she was inspired by at Double Bill and then yeah we're going to have a a good old um, shindig in the BFI atrium there's going to be cake, there's going to be karaoke there's going to be an inordinate amount of balloons so if anyone is kind of in the area and fancies coming by it's at 7.30 and it's free so there's not really any excuse and um yeah you can kind of find out more details on the bfi website or eventually our website when i get around (laughs) doing an article about it (laughs) oh well that's very exciting good luck with all that hannah but we do have three films to discuss this week we're not just going to be chatting about bob's burgers (laughs) for the full episode we're doing things a little differently this week we have one new release we're talking about then we have the double bill of film club picks the first one is related to the new release and then the second one is a bit of a curveball i was given carte blanche to pick something for the final episode that i was hosting but we'll come to that later because first we're going to talk about we're all going to the world's fair Here's a very short and enigmatic synopsis for We're All Going to the World's Fair. Reality and fantasy begin to blur when a teen immerses herself in a role-playing horror game online. So Hannah, that is like nothing for us to go on, (laughs) (laughs) really. How do we explain what to expect with We're All Going to the World's Fair? Okay, so, so this was a bit of an unknown entity for me when it premiered at Sundance, not this January, but uh, January 2021 so um, kind of mid-pandemic it was um, kind of surfaced on my radar and it actually 
I did I did watch it during Sundance, but it was actually a friend of mine who told me to look out for it and said, oh, you should definitely like make time for that during Sundance. They're a friend of uh, Jane Schoenbrunn, the director, and um, said, you know, she's wonderful. She's a really great person. Watch her movie, essentially. And, I, you know, I, I like to take those recommendations where I can. Um, but, yeah, going off that logline, I was kind of sold as a child of the internet who grew up reading creepy pastors and kind of never participating but always like being very interested in these online games and these online um uh sort of folk legends about people um uh typing in some like message or like recording something and then being like haunted through the internet um so i was like yeah okay down for this i was a bit apprehensive i think because i'm i'm a bit screen lifed out you know those films that are set through a computer um have kind of exhausted me i'm not i know some people really ride for the unfriended films but i'm like i i never never got into them um and i didn't really like host which was the big kind of one that was super popular during the pandemic um so yeah a, a bit of healthy apprehension for me um but what i think we've actually got is this um film which is kind of as much about like loneliness as a teenager and the kind of um search for somewhere that you fit in as much as it's about kind of um spooky stuff on the internet which again i, I you know I, I, listeners of the podcast will not be surprised to hear that that kind of thing really uh, resonates uh, with me as someone who's just spent two years writing a book about Sophia Coppola. Of course, I like films about teenagers who have dysfunctional lives and are trying desperately to fit in. Um, so yeah, I think it's an incredibly impressive debut from uh, Jane Schoenbrunn and an incredibly impressive um, fe- first feature performance from Anna Cobb, who plays Casey, the kind of central teenager. I don't know if... I- I don't know if uh, you want to throw to David to explain kind of like what the World's Fair actually is, because it's I think it's a great title, but very kind of don't you know, you don't glean anything from that. <laughs> yeah, David, um, off mic, we were told that you you only came to hear of the term creepy pasta vile uh, <laughs> watching this film. <laughs> So what was your approach to this and what do you take from it? Because it is is feeding into this sense of post-Slender Man, post-Momo Challenge, I guess was the one from a year or two ago. Uh, The idea that you'd be watching a video and then be haunted through the internet. What do you take from all that? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I I wasn't really part of that world of of like chat rooms and being extremely online for for, 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 for sort of my, my kind of teens or youth, just because I don't think that really world... I'm I'm just of an age that sits just outside of that. I think I've, I'm sort of like between Gen X and Gen Z. I, I don't know, but like, um, yeah. So I I was slightly like I think, I think the term is geriatric millennial. Sorry, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's the one. So yeah, the, the the film is sort of based on this concept that of the the young, the young sort of protagonist um, say, telling her followers or people who are watching her basically these kind of unknown many kind of unknown voyeurs that she is going to do this thing about i'm going to go to the world's fair which is a kind of challenge and um the actual sort of physical um 
what, what the thing that she actually does is essentially kind of cut it, it's it's kind of like a blood oath kind of thing where she sort of cuts her finger and wipes it on the screen and that is the kind of symbolic gesture that means she's kind of like taken on this challenge and that you know all these kind of strange things are going to be happening to her and um you know we 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 um we kind of see her um looking at, ha- at other people and how they how this kind of doing the challenges manifested in them and you know you have these examples of people saying they've lost all feeling and people have have um uh, 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 you know, they, they, they're getting this kind of you know, these sort of weird, almost sort of disease-like symptoms. Um, but and, but then you kind of like invited to to sort of wonder, well, how much of it is a performance, and how much of it is kind of entertaining? And you know, there, there, I guess there is a, a you know some some element of the film links into this idea of catfishing, and you know, the idea of like having to ask questions of like are we what what are we when we when we look at a video on the internet how do we know it's truthful when someone is kind of you know perf, you know is it a performance how how much of what we see on the internet is a performance and how will we ever know so i think like at, at its essence it's kind of like doing this sort of dual thing where it's tapping into this kind of very you know almost kind of like underground online community but actually tapping into some like very kind of universal and deep questions about like the nature of truth in the age of the internet so yeah um it's a really really sort of fascinating film it's done in this kind of quite you know the, the way it's done i don't think it, it you know i think there's lots there's lots of kind of name checks in the films to things like paranormal um, paranormal activity um which is that kind of like um which you know which i think sort of mm. started that craze of the kind of found footage um it, you know shaky webcam footage film or like security camera film and it kind of draws on that a little bit and think and, and even even back to something like the Blair Witch Project which I think is the kind of ur text of this film um you kind of like you, you it's it, it's it you know it, it's not that it's it isn't those films but it, it is kind of like it has this kind of similar sort of mm. chill factor to it as well it's quite sort of like I wouldn't say it's a scary film it's, it's, it's one that really kind of gets under your skin and is quite kind of just like, you know, I think something, it does something that a genuinely good like horror film does, which is like disturbs and gets under your skin and asks you, you know, uh, uh, forces you to kind of question the nature of reality and like your kind of relationship with the characters you're seeing. So, yeah, I really loved it. It is a really sort of atmospheric and thoughtful film in the end. I don't want to give away too much, but it is not what you expect with some of the, as you said, David, some of those touchstones that may be mentioned, uh, given the subject matter and the way that it's shot. And Jane Schoenbrunn, um, as a critic before a filmmaker, wrote about online communities and the, the, those, the, the, the internet and the, the performance of being a person on the internet and the, uh, the the way that that space was um, in, in a similar way to a film like The Matrix, the way that this post-human trans kind of experience of the internet is is is, is very relevant to the potential of the internet. Um, and she also made a film, a documentary a few years ago called A Self-Induced Hallucination, which is a documentary about the Slender Man phenomenon, which really dug under the skin of that in a way that you know movie execs saw 
the slender man creepypasta phenomenon and thought we should just make this into a movie which was bad but there's something more interesting there about what that is for people particularly young people on the internet what that what role that plays in a coming of age narrative as people are finding themselves and working out I the think, edges of their identity so it's a very I, I different think one of the sort other of things it does really expect. well as well is like it's sort of like it, it kind of explores this idea of the kind of cross like community crossover almost it's like you have these little kind of sub communities doing these very specific things and they're doing them to each other and for each other but sometimes you might get someone kind of crossing over from a slightly different community who maybe just doesn't quite understand the game being played and like i think it's and i, I mean that that feels to me like a, a you know a very very profound thing about like you know the experience of being online is like you know not like you, you you're kind of given access to a kind of to to watch people doing things and you don't maybe don't quite understand what it is they're doing like seeing people playing a game in the playground and you want to play but you don't really know the rules but you're going to do it anyway so like there's i think that that aspect kind of bleeds into the film at the end and it's like yeah it's really fascinating like that element of it i think it's like as a film about like at, you know how 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 the internet and how how kind of being connected and in this way and has changed our lives it's it's really profound yeah um any final comments hannah from little white lies resident tumblr queen about <laughs> oh you're too kind michael um i i think as well just to kind of bounce off what david's been saying um it's really interesting to see a film that taps into the kind of uh, parasocial nature of online relationships and the fact that you can never really totally know someone online until I guess you meet them in real life which you know may or may not happen depending on um, things like geography and whatnot I mean personally I have met some of my closest friends through the internet and I remember the first time I went to New York um, was to kind of I'd, I'd gone with the intention of meeting some friends from the internet which sounds it you know it sounds like a um after school special um but you know it worked out fine they they were who they said they were and I had vetted before so you know um but yeah I mean the, there's a the ending of the film is very ambiguous and you're not kind of sure who to believe and you're not sure what the kind of uh, definitive version is and that to me is something very true to the experience of being online and forming these relationships with people that um, sometimes you don't get any closure and kind of people do just dip in and out and someone can be there one day and gone the next. So it also for me kind of touches on this idea of um, grieving for something very ephemeral. And um, I think the film has really resonated with um, the trans community and a lot of my trans friends, not only because Jane herself is uh, transgender and really writes and speaks incredibly eloquently about how that might be reflected in the film, um, but because there is a, this idea of going through not only a physical, but a kind of mental transformation, but trying to kind of reconcile that with what came before. And yeah, I just think it does so much in a pretty short runtime and really is a kind of example of 
um, what independent filmmaking offers us that I think we're kind of lacking at the moment in mainstream filmmaking, um, which is a, a total kind of understanding of a very um, difficult thing to kind of uh, explain to people. The internet is, a you know, the internet, and particularly this kind of internet, is a difficult kind of thing to try and get across to people. Like, I, I couldn't explain it to my mother. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a great <laughs> film and I'm so, so excited to see what Jane does next. Absolutely, me too. I think it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's that crossover between two things that are very hard to talk about. Because it's the internet, which is always changing and innovating and, and, and redeveloping itself. But also youth culture, which once you are old enough to professionally comment on it, you are outside of it. So, <laughs> it, it, But it still manages to bottle something that can, I think, resonates even with old people like me. Um, it took me all the way back to being a teenager. And as you say, Hannah, lots of friendships made on discussion boards with people who were just usernames and i had a sort of long dark night of the soul after watching this where i'm like these are people that were so important to me age 15 16 i had no idea who they actually were um made me remember the times that, that i met these people i'd go on trains around the country and very fortunately they were people that i then met, made friends with but some of them just disappeared i have no way of finding them now and that idea that we think that the, the internet is now something that will always be written in stone but it can be ephemeral, uh, just as coming of age is. It's something that is a, is a phase to go through that you may come out the other side of differently. Uh, really fascinating film and fascinating filmmaker as well. Let's put some scores on this. Hannah, I'll come to you first. Um, out of five, uh, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. Um, I think in, it was a three for me in anticipation, um, just because at, at Sundance there's always a sort of a an unknown quality there and I try to temper my expectations um but definitely a four in enjoyment and a four in retrospect I was I saw it obviously for the first time January 2021 and then revisited it for the podcast and it really um it really held up on a second watch for me and I think adding to this canon we have of um the internet on screen it's a really kind of uh, worthy entry and yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough to anyone who's kind of interested in um, the kind of the f philosophy of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> David, what scores would you give this? Uh, same scores for me. Same scores. Yeah, I think it's uh, really, really fascinating. Can't wait to see what the director does next. And um, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's something I'd sort of broadly recommend to everyone in my in my sort of friendship group but certainly something that you know to, for the sort of discerning you know pe people people with with kind of vague interest in that area learning about what happens there definitely work, rec recommend there but yeah it's it's, mm -hmm. it's you know it's an ex i think it is probably you, you know you classify it as an, as an experimental film and so you know um but it, it's done in a in a really interesting and engaging and um inviting way mm -hmm. yeah i i agree uh, go in with an open mind and you'll find something that is really thoughtful that you'll be thinking on for a while afterwards and reading every interview and every feature you can find and it just deserves to be on the shelf alongside there's a graphic novel by jillian tamaki called boundless that looks at online cultures uh, in this way something like eighth grade as well almost feels like it's in a similar bracket to this something that really does feel deeply felt by somebody who's lived through this world 
but speaking of which we've now got to move on to our first film club this week about video game culture made by somebody who definitely isn't part of that world david cronenberg (laughs) with the body horror film existence a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We have a bit more of a long and convoluted synopsis for Existence compared to We're All Going to the World's Fair. Video game designer Allegra Geller, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, has created a virtual reality game called Existence with a capital X and a capital Z. After a crazed fan attempts to kill her, Allegra goes on the run with Ted, played by Jude Law, a young businessman who falls into the role of bodyguard. In an attempt to save her game, Allegra implants into Ted's body the video game pod that carries a damaged copy of Existence. Allegra and Ted engage in a series of experiences that blur the lines between fantasy and reality, but in a way that only David Cronenberg can. David, what, what do you make of Existence? This is a film I remember when I was, I guess, an early teen, uh, this film coming out, I remember the posters being everywhere, um, and there's a lot of uh, hype around it because it was a game a film about video games what do you make of this yeah i mean it's it, it is as you say interesting in the 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 kind of i guess with the gift of like maybe what when we were watching it at the time i think it may you know it may have seemed a bit more like a film like the matrix where it's kind of you've got this very sort of like conceptual idea of like being in a in a kind of augmented reality or something that is very kind of fits quite neatly into the kind of dramatic uh shell of cinema and um i i, I you know i think that it's a film it's a film i think that is definitely has definitely has its merits but maybe not the the kind of i think that the the gaming element now looks more like a kind of macguffin than than actually that something that is actually was actually kind of telling us something quite sort of profound and interesting about the future of, of kind of immersive gaming. Um, you, 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 you get this, you know, you, you, there, there are some elements there that are, that are interesting of like, you have these kind of fleshy pods that, that it's like the, the kind of game console pads are like these um, very Cronenbergian flesh pods that kind of writhe and wriggle when you hold them and you kind of like massage, rather than sort of press buttons, you're kind of massaging it. Uh, I mean, the film doesn't necessarily explain 
why or what what that that massaging achieves but um it's certainly kind of you know there's 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 this kind of it's it's interesting visually um but yeah it's it 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 does it maybe does fit more into a kind of you know i think cronenberg has his interests about you know the the kind of internal organs and like the idea of like uh, you know our bodies being invaded by something um from outside something kind of new and potentially dangerous um how that affects like our physical form and our minds as well and um yeah, essentially the story is 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 the you know the two characters jennifer jason Lee and jude law kind of going through this this get this game existence um or, or what we think is ex- existence it's, there's there's many kind of layers to their to their kind of reality that kind of keep chopping and changing and it's it's just a strange thing where you don't necessarily ever like the the way the game is presented is 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 quite kind of abstract and that that like i think for for what we know about gaming now is it's very kind of constructed and uh and that the world is is quite kind of um yeah the, the 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 world is although you have these open world games they're still they're still in their in their own way quite enclosed and and the way that this is presented is is completely kind of like um you know essentially like a complete recreation of just normal human interaction with a, with a few small changes as well um and and yeah it's very kind of like surreal and all the, all the kind of challenges in the game are quite you know th- th- it's stuff that you would you know it's it's like it's stuff that you'd see in a Cronenberg film rather than in a computer game like there's a, there's a very mm-hmm. famous sequence that that holds up of um, so in in this world, <laughs> a lo- lovely you know lovely detail again very Cronenbergian. They all like in this world that they, they instead of like normal meat they yeah, they the people eat like amphibious like kind of creatures that are kind of of unknown origin. Like some of them you know new, new, uh, completely like you know fan- fantasy creatures. So it's a really sort of slimy horrible food. And there's a there's a sequence where Jude Lord like Jude Law gulps down this plate of horrible looking kind of slimy, eely kind of um tentacle kind of not food and uh, and t- and t- turns the kind of all the kind of detritus, all the bony uh, sort of castaways into a into a, a gun and he shoots the waiter. And it's 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 it in 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 and of itself it's an incredible set piece because it's so kind of weird and mysterious but it's kind of at the same time I, you, you kind of feel it's not I'm not sure like it's very um, good in and of itself rather than as part of a kind of bigger more thoughtful film about the the, the internet and, 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 and gaming as well so um, yeah that's that's my take on it yeah it, it, it came out I think in the UK it came out just before The Matrix and imagine seeing them side by side like the matrix has just become more and more almost prophetic about how the um how the online world and the the possibility of this digital future can change and revolutionize things and uh, expand our horizons and existence i mean fair play to him this just feels to me like a bit of opportunism on cronenberg's part to make a major movie maybe off the back of the controversies around crash only a couple of years before with you know stars on the rise and this is a stacked cast but i suppose compared to something like videodrome about a decade before 
that's commenting on screen cultures of a different kind of television. Yeah. But that's working with several decades of cultural impact around TV. I, I think. Whereas video games. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, you, like, as I said, like, you really, you, you, from Videodrome, you get a sense that David Cronenberg is deeply invested in the subject matter of, like, that, you know, voyeurism and visual culture and its effect on us. With, with existence, you, you know, you do, I don't think David Cronenberg's ever played a computer game to this day. <laughs> yeah, he's, what we needed around John this time was John, John Carpenter's, yeah. <laughs> John Carpenter's <laughs> video game movie because he is a, a, a famous video game nerd. Hannah, so I, I've, I, I've seen a few tweets recently about how you're going through a big David Cronenberg watch along or watch through while, uh, while doing some uh, creative work in the evenings. Um, where does Existence <laughs> land for you within all that? creative work Michael is referring to my rug making it feels very funny to be watching all these like quite graphic body horror movies and then be like just sitting like weaving my little rugs um yeah existence is one that I kind of was excited to get to in my Cronenberg watch through because people talk about it and they kind of um I I there's a, a sort of fondness but I kind of I, I think acknowledgement generally that's not his best work um and I'd only ever kind of seen pictures <laughs> from the film I'd never seen any clips or anything so um didn't really know what I was letting myself in for but I'm you know I I play video games I enjoy video games so in theory was very up for it but um yeah to kind of echo the conversation it's not really a film about video games um it's you know i'm trying to think of um well i mean it's yeah i mean it's like saying that crash is a is a film about um people that are turned on by car crashes it's like well yeah kind of but like there's more there's more going on um but yeah it's a fun kind of silly film in my eye it's like um the idea of what video gaming would be in the kind of um not necessarily the early years but the kind of that strange period where it was just before everything got supercharged and just before you know kind of um console gaming and online gaming really became what it is today um i do think it's interesting to watch it in kind of light of all the uh, news about like the metaverse and we, mm. you know we've kind of in recent years moved towards um virtual reality as like more of a thing um but as david says yeah i mean <laughs> it's just like video games don't work <laughs> don't work like this you can't make a sort of limitless video game um i i do kind of admire the swinging for the fences and i particularly enjoy uh Willem Dafoe's role as um, what appears to be a kindly mechanic, um, but is soon revealed to be kind of much more than that. Yeah, I mean, as Michael just said, like the the, the cast in this is pretty pretty stacked and um, very fun to kind of see like Ian Holm and Christopher Eccleston like pop up, and they're all having such fun as well. And I think this is best enjoyed as a bit of a a, a romp. 
<laughs> rather than a serious comment i mean it's no free guy is it <laughs> although i do i do find it very interesting that even you know 20 years on fil- fil- films and filmmakers still make a lot of the same um uh, fall into the same traps when they're talking about video games they're so obsessed with the apparatus of um of how we play video games and the connection rather than the experience and um the culture and community um and of course it extends has such great fun with a lot of those practical effects and creature designs and the um the very sexualized imagery of the ports you know a nice (laughs) close-up shot of jude law uh sticking his tongue into the bio ports (laughs) on jason jason lee's back and stuff like that that is i'm sure playing that stuff that that's that's uh, you know that they'll bring the house down those moments but it, it does really strike me as um as as you say, not like Videodrome, not one that is actually seeped into a real interest and intrigue and curiosity about video games. But Hannah, uh, from your watch through, what would is there a Cronenberg film, maybe an unlikely Cronenberg film, that you'd recommend that people go and watch? Because I guess we're all teeing up for his great new film that's going to be premiering in Cannes. Yeah, I mean, what can you really say? The guy mainly makes bangers. I, I've been... I mean, even Existence, which I don't think is his best work, is still an, a very enjoyable film. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're kind of prepping for Crimes of the Future, obviously Crash is like an all-timer. I, I can't recommend that film enough to people. Um, but then I think in terms of ones that I've kind of enjoyed that people don't maybe talk about as much, I really liked Shivers. Um, which is um, kind of like high rise, uh, but but hornier and kind of grosser. Um, if people are familiar with the the JG Ballard novel slash Ben Wheatley film, um, and that's that was kind of um, maybe either his like first or second like feature. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I feel like I should know the order off my heart now, but he, he, he there's a lot of films. Um, so, yeah, I, I that, I mean, really, I, I sound very basic, but, like, you know, v- Videodrome, great movie. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Scanners, I really liked as well. Um, yeah, he's he's got a very good hit rate, old Cronenberg. Um, and, I, yeah, I can't wait to see Crimes of the Future. I think it's going to be great. David, what's your top Cronenberg? Oh yeah, sorry, echoing here, but but Crash and and Videodrome are the two for me. Um, mm-hmm. Followed followed probably by The Fly. Um, although I, I, I'll just, just I actually rewatched one recently that I, I'd never seen. Like I think the only two I'd never seen is um, M Butterfly, which I still haven't seen, mm-hmm. and the the other one was Spider, from which he did. Right. I think it's the film he did after Existence. Um, really i i think spider is a is a better film um it's a it's really fascinating set in kind of 50s east london um uh with with um uh, ralph fines gabriel byrne miranda richardson all doing like cockney accents and uh it's very very in a way it's kind of like kitchen sink drama but actually is drawing on the same ideas as existence of entering into dreams and reality other people's rea- dreams and realities um yes really good film actually I, 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 you know he, there, there are kind of bangers in there that are still to be lauded properly i think mm. 
Oh, I'd, I'd echo the fly. The fly's the one for me. Um, it's always surprising when you go back to that because it's become enshrined as such a genre classic that how much of a, a romance movie mm. it is. Um, uh, e- even when it goes in its strange directions. And in sort of a similar mode to Existence, the sort of heightened mode that plays like a romp with these sort of great moments of... Uh, practical effects. I'd shout out The Brood. The Brood is uh, is maybe a bit <laughs> more grimy than some of his other films, but um, uh, a lot of fun within that with Oliver Reed. <laughs> An unhinged performance, as yes. always, from him. Um, but uh, we could do like a whole mini-series on Cronenberg on someday, uh, but uh, that's a little shout-out to some of his highlights as we finish talking about Existence. Up next, we have my final film club, so I got the chance to pick it this week. It's Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. A bit of synopsis for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of watching this downright banger. Captain James T. Kirk, William Shatner and the crew of the USS Enterprise are carrying Klingon Chancellor Gorkon, David Warner, to Earth to negotiate a peace treaty with the United Federation of Planets. The ship appears to fire on a Klingon vessel and Gorkon is killed in the subsequent confusion. Kirk and the ship's doctor, Leonard McCoy, are arrested for murder, leaving Spock to figure out who is behind the attack and save the negotiations. So I picked this one because I was tasked by you both, David and Hannah, to pick a sort of suitable uh, riding off into the sunset kind of movie. And this is the last hurrah of the original crew of uh, the Starship Enterprise. It was released in the 25th anniversary year um, following the original series and was very much seen as their swan song, one last hurrah. And it helps as well that it's a, a, a really fun, rollicking movie. So I wanted to <laughs> subject you both to it. Um, so Hannah, I'll come to you first very quickly. W- what did you make of this? And w- did you sort of groan when I suggested this? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely did. I was like, Michael, <laughs> why? Um, because I'm not really a Star Trek person. Uh, I think I've only seen the kind of newer ones with Chris Pine. Obviously I've seen like, um, you know the kind of clips of um, William Shatner like fighting the giant lizard um, I don't know if that's from the show or from one of the movies but um, yeah it's a show that exists mainly as like memes to me uh, more <laughs> than a kind of thing that I have much interest in uh, my family loves Star Trek um, they're more kind of fans of um, the next generation though they're big like Picard fans Um but I never, never kind of engaged with it, never got into it. Um, so yeah, I was a bit like, oh, what, what, what am I in for? And then started watching the film, and it has to be said that the first four minutes of this film are just, uh, it, it does like this very, very slow credit roll. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> oh my god, just get to the movie. Um, but once it gets going, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this film. It is. Um, quite a simple setup, but they execute it in kind of such a, a fun, um, what I imagine was less campy at the time, but now feels very kind of like, um, a little bit silly and a little bit, um, kind of, uh, hokey, but it's, yeah, just, just a very enjoyable sci-fi adventure with 
um, mm-hmm. a kind of surprisingly heartfelt kind of uh, last 20 minutes. I think it really kind of like gets into um, some kind of nice territory about um, the concept of like the future and um, the kind of core relationships between this cast of, you know, even someone who isn't a Star Trek fan can appreciate the kind of influence that that core cast of uh, actors and characters had on pop culture at large. So yeah, it's just uh, weirdly a good introduction, I think, even even though I um even though I acknowledge it is the last kind of film in the series. <laughs> oh, well I'm I'm glad it wasn't <laughs> it stopped being a slog after the first 4 minutes. But <laughs> you pick up on something there that really dazzles me when I go back to the the what I'd call the 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 better or the good uh, Star Trek movies from the 80s and I guess well, this one is early 90s. Um and it is that fascinating balance of tone. We've now gone through irony and post-irony. And um, when I was a kid, God, it was Family Guy, wasn't it? Where William Shatner was a character in Family Guy. And it was this exaggerated, campy performance where he was just jumping around and had the exaggerated voice. And, and now we've come out the other end and it's uh, very reverential towards the past. Whereas you watch something like this and they are very deadly serious or at least deadly committed to the concept they believe in this the um as you say the the heartfelt core of the characters and what they represent but they also like to have fun as well and that's something that the nicholas meyer movies so he made the wrath of khan the second movie which i'd say is better than this one but uh, isn't as definitively the final one as as the undiscovered country he also wrote the voyage home which is the in the famous one where they travel back to 1980s san francisco and he, as a writer, doesn't come from a sort of J.J. Abrams mega fan kind of perspective. He will have a lot of fun and bring his own um, tone of voice to this. So something that he brings is impeccable structure, impeccable character beats and moments, some really uh, great dialogue work. And in particular, he loves a literary reference. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> so, does he? Made, made, made manifest in this one with uh, Christopher Plummer's uh, Chang, who for like the last 15 minutes of his character arc is just spouting Shakespeare quotes. <laughs> but even within that... He's basically playing himself yeah. in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but even within that, uh, Nicholas Meyer um, has fun with it. So you have the two great gags in this where... Of Chang says you've never appreciated Shakespeare unless you've read him in the original Klingon which is such a ridiculous but funny line and then not long after that uh, Leonard Nimoy as Spock talks about one of his great ancestors who is Sherlock Holmes (laughs) (laughs) and it's something that you know sci-fi fans who've watched sci-fi tv you know Babylon 5 etc it's a it's a trope of those far future sci-fi series where they talk about 20th century history as if it's or, or early history as if it's the past um but uh he's having a lot of fun also the doesn't he say the vulcan proverb only nixon could go to yes. china because that the, <laughs> the, the 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 core concept of this is quite ridiculous but also speaks to the possibilities of what sci-fi can do and it's quite quaint but also inspiring in a year in, in an era where sci-fi movies are only about themselves they're only about franchise legacy particularly the star star trek and star wars um Leonard Nimoy came to the top brass at 
Paramount and, and said that he wanted to make a movie that was commenting on the end of the Cold War in the <laughs> real world. What if the wall came down in space and they have a very obvious Chernobyl-esque exper- you know, the kind of event at the beginning of this? They have Gorkon, who is Gorbachev. <laughs> they just literally just took the first syllable of the name. But they, they commit to it and Maya finds the landing, which is when the war finishes... What 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 is the future for the great space frontier adventurer of James T. Kirk, and it does have this very heartfelt ending. Uh, David, I'm going to come to you because you're you're you know you, you probably would have seen some Star Trek movies in your youth, but was this one you'd seen before? Uh, no, I hadn't seen this one before. Like, um, I, do you know what, Michael? You probably said everything I was going to say. I was I, w- I was I was hang- hanging in there hoping I could go on to the old uh, Cold War uh, allegory um, <laughs> stuff, but. You nailed it, so I'm just gonna, gonna let that one be. No, my I, I, my dad is massively, massively into Star Trek um, to the point where he uh, spent a lot of money buying the entire series on video uh, back in the day, where you'd basically buy uh, a, a, like a VHS tape that that came with two episodes on it. So you, that would be like a tenner for two episodes. Which you know seems seems utterly crazy now, but we we basically our house was just next generation and original series and DS Nine and and Voyager tapes everywhere. Like, um, it, it, you, you, we could have built a little house out of VHS tapes of Star Trek. So, um, and the, the ironic, the, and he was he was one of these people who's like he's a collector rather than like, and so he he'd actually watch the shows when they were on TV. He wouldn't actually watch the videos, but he just had to have the videos as kind of like his shrine to <laughs> the shrine to his love of it. And when we were very young, he took us to see um, the Final Frontier, which is the fifth film uh, directed by Shatner. Um, Why well, directed is 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 a is a a nice way of putting it. Um, I, I remember seeing it as a kid and being like. You know, I'm talking about like yeah, I was like eight or nine when I saw it, and I think I was really impressed. And like, I have a ve- I, although I have never seen it since, I have a very very distinct memory of the sequence at the end where they essentially like, I think they kind of interface with God or or some. Or, or the, the, uh, it, mm-hmm. It's a kind of I think it's a sort of Wizard of Oz kind of thing where they're sort of talking to this this being that they think is kind of some elemental like God Godhead or something, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember being really wowed just by that I, that very notion when I was quite young, and and have subsequently kind of I feel felt quite sad to see that that film has now is now considered one of if not the worst of the of the sort of Star Trek features. Um, but yeah, uh, and and during lockdown, my, my myself and my wife had been doing a Star Trek a, yeah, original film series rewatch uh, watch and rewatch. Um, and and yeah, it is really true. I think it was in in um, space where there's a, there's the whole thing about every it's the even numbered um, Star Trek films are good, and I think yeah, two, four, and six definitely the the good ones. And I, and I actually think three. I remember liking three quite like of the of the odd numbers one ones three is is the best. Like one you'd think would be mm-hmm. good, but is actually terrible. One and five, yeah, really, really, really bad. But like yeah, it was lovely to catch up with this one and. You know, we we, we re- watched it this week, and uh, as we were watching, we were, we were kind of speculating as to why you would have chosen this and which character you saw yourself as. Are you <laughs> the fallen Gorkon, the idealist who's kind of been taken down, who and who wants his legacy taken taken forward by his daughter, or 
are you are you James T Kirk <laughs> who is kind of is is at the who's who's fronted that is you know being forced to hang up his spurs and take a desk job at, at Starfleet and um you know uh, maybe maybe that's for you to say who 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 do you see yourself as in this film that's that's hilarious i would never call myself uh, kirk um maybe i am hikaru sulu i'm going off on my own yeah. uh, on a different st- i finally i'm going to captain a different starship yeah. and you may see me again down the line <laughs> exactly that's a very good answer that was one possibility as well we thought so um <laughs> But this, when I go back and watch these films, it really speaks to something about having actors who are so comfortable in their characters, um, and that's something that we don't really we, we they they are because they've they performed it on television for a couple of seasons and then they had these feature films. There's such an easy chemistry here, and I think what Shatner does, um, he, he, even though he's been heavily memed to death, as you say, Hannah, what what he can do he can go big he can go small he can sell an emotional beat he can sell an amazing act turn where it goes from the worst points to the moments of <laughs> of, 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 of redemption really well um and similarly all all the cast have their moment to shine and this cast is uh, has some really strange additions as well like christian slater turns up for two yeah. lines which must have been very bizarre <laughs> to see in 1991 <laughs> at the height of christian slater as um as a sort of heartthrob. Well, you know where that happened, um, right? Because his, his mum was the casting director. <laughs> yeah, which I think is a lovely little detail. <laughs> She's just like, put my son in Star Trek. Like, <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was kind of thrilling to see like all these actors that I do think of as even not being like a Star Trek person. Obviously, I know who William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly are. Um, you know, so seeing them kind of... Um, saying goodbye to these characters that they'd played for such a long time is is like quite an emotional thing to watch and I kind of went on (laughs) went and did my research for the podcast and it's very funny reading about Nichelle Nichols relationship to this film um because Mm. you know the whole thing is um there's a lot of kind of racial allegory in the film about the relationship between humans and Klingons and um, by all accounts, Nichelle Nichols, obviously being the only um, black member of the uh, original cast, was quite sort of uh, reticent to um, uh, perform some of the kind of dialogue, thinking rightfully so that it was it was it had weird racial undertones. Um, but my favourite kind of uh, comment on the whole thing is that. At a certain point, she was just like, fine, whatever, because she knew she didn't have to do another one, <laughs> which I just think is really um, echoed in the kind of later Marvel movies where you can just tell that some of the actors have just checked out and they're just like, I'm here for a paycheck and I'm going to get the paycheck and then I'm going to like go and relax on my yacht. <laughs> but she she does it's, have her it's, nice it's, um... little set piece where she has to translate the Klingon. She didn't even like that, oh, which right. I think is a very funny like moment. Um, apparently, yeah, she didn't understand why there would be books in the. In <laughs> That's the funny century. thing. That's the funny little anachronism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got these old antiquarian books on the, and the, suddenly it's almost like kind of, you know, Saturday Night Live almost. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment, and I think it's it's there, there is a really nice balance between the kind of comedy elements of the film. Like, there's a, a lovely moment where this, where the crew are talking about rescuing Kirk and McCoy. And Spock says, 
if I know my esteemed colleague, he will be plotting his escape right now. And it like smash cuts to Kirk getting like beaten up <laughs> in the prison, in the mines. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I mean, um, we think of that sort of humor as being um, maybe a bit more of a modern thing, or certainly I think of it as seeming very modern. Um, but then, you know, you kind of trace the footsteps. And I think that Star Trek, more so than Star Wars, has always been the kind of... Uh, the, the sci-fi franchise with like a sense of humor hmm. yeah the sense of humor but going hand in hand with big ideas even yes. very sort of broad bat kind of ideas and it doesn't always get it very right as you say <laughs> it does have some very sort of problematic as- aspects now but it really went for it to try to say something and uh, it would be like it, it, it does seem it quite would be like now. the star trek franchise now making a film about solving the uh, Palestine conflict. It is kind of wild when you think about it that they made this Star Trek movie about the fall of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> yeah, but, but but I suppose it's it's just a, it's a callback to a time when stars had that power. Yeah, you can't imagine Chris Pine rocking up and saying, <laughs> "JJ, we've got a comment on Ukraine." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, a- absolutely. Yeah, I I kind of wish that franchise films were as willing to swing big as this one is, and. Um, I think it is a fascinating bit of like sci-fi history. Yeah, but that is uh, the undiscovered country, Hannah. I would recommend uh, the Wrath of Khan next um, <laughs> if, if you wanted to go deeper. I, I, I think that is that is slightly better for me, but they're both equally well regarded. I think in, in the in the great wide world, listeners, we've talked about a lot of films this week. We've talked about all sorts. Let us know what you make of any of that chat at the usual channels at LW Lies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email. Next week, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This much I know to be true and in Film Club, going back in time for Cabaret. And if I'm James T. Kirk or Sulu going off into the sunset, I'm handing over to the Picard of the next generation, which is the great Layla Latif. Good luck, Layla. Looking forward to listening to that show next week. Thank you to David and Hannah for joining me this week. As ever, it's been such a treat talking through these films with you. And yep, this is my last episode. I've had a blast hosting this podcast over the last four or so years. Let me extend the thank yous to include the whole Little White Lies team. Yes, that's Adam Woodward as well, as well as Vince and the Church of London gang. Thanks to the scores of guests who've joined me on the show over the years. I say this every week, but it's such a privilege to speak with people who have such passion for cinema. And special thanks to past producers Ian Callahan and Jake Cunningham and our stalwart editor Steph Watts for cutting out all the flubs and stumbles we've had along the way. And listeners, thank you for tuning in week in, week out, and thanks for sticking with me for over 170 episodes or however long it's been. (laughs) I hope you found some truth in our chat about the movies, and if not, I hope you pass the time while you've been doing the dishes or walking the dog away as you're doing right now. Thanks for listening. Truth and Movies will be back next week, but I'll see you at the pictures. Thanks. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong and David Jenkins. The podcast is produced by Sam Lucas, Ellie Aitken and Jamie Maisner, and it's edited by Steph Watts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.